throughout this series, we're looking at the signs in the Gospel of John, the, the seven signs that reveal God's glory, that reveal the character, the person, the identity of Jesus. And the signs are all in our life too. They're all around us. God has shown us signs in our lives that have revealed himself to me. And we're going to look at a story today in John chapter 5 that does the very same thing. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 5. While you're doing that, I need you guys to help me fill in this statement. There's no such thing as a dumb question, right? Or there's no such thing as a stupid question. You've probably heard that said before. Maybe you've said that to somebody before, but I got to tell you, I don't know. I, uh, I was looking at some questions that people have asked, real questions that people have asked online this week, and it's got me rethinking my position on this. For example, someone asked, how far of a drive is it from Miami to Florida? Someone else asked, should I tell my parents I'm adopted? (laughs) Someone asked, how big is the specific ocean? Here's another one. Does looking at a picture of the sun hurt your eyes? Is an egg a fruit or a vegetable? What do you call the tooth doctor? Here's another one on eggs. People seem to have a, a lot of confusion around eggs. Do chicken eggs make you stronger than beef eggs? If so, how does this work, scientifically speaking? <laughs> and here's, here's one final one. Why does England, a European country, speak English and American language instead of another foreign European language? I think someone fell asleep during history class. Well, today, in the story we're going to look at, uh, a man uh, is asked a question that, that seems like a dumb question. It, it seems obvious. But we'll see in a minute, there is more to this question than meets the eye. It's actually a very perceptive question, a question that Jesus asked each of us to. With your Bible turned to John 5, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? John chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This story begins with Jesus in Jerusalem at a pool called Bethesda. Now, for centuries, critics of the Bible claim that the Gospel of John was written much later than what we believe it to be because there was no external evidence for the pool of Bethesda. They said whoever it was that wrote the Gospel of John had no firsthand knowledge of the city of Jerusalem. I mean, how could they? They they were writing about a pool that apparently didn't exist. 
the argument was that the pool was significant metaphorically, but not historically. But at the end of the 19th century, some people decided to renovate an ancient church in the northeast corner of Jerusalem called St. Anne's Church. And as they were scrubbing one of the walls, they discovered a fresco, a, a faded painting that showed a pool of water and an angel standing in the water and sick people scrambling into the pool. Those who discovered this painting realized that it connects with this story in John chapter 5. And so this caused them to ask, could the pool of Bethesda, which no one had seen for centuries, be located somewhere near this ancient church? So they began digging and excavating around this church. After they had dug down through 40 feet of rubble, they found it. Today, if you visit Jerusalem, you can look down in a hole 40 feet deep and see the pool of Bethesda. Well, not only did they find the pool, but they located the covered colonnades, the five porches that John speaks about. For 1,800 years, it had been hidden, but now it's been revealed. Today, it is a place of beautiful archaeological ruins. 2,000 years ago, it was a place of disease and hopelessness. And as interesting as this discovery is, what matters most in this account is not the location of this pool, but the conversation that happens and the sign that Jesus performs. I want you to notice, first of all, a crazy question. A crazy question. Let's place ourselves at the pool of Bethesda. Here is a place where sick people congregate because they believe that they can be healed by getting into the water whenever it's stirred. There was this, this superstition, this, this aura that when people would get into the water at the time that it was stirred that they would be healed. Now most likely this pool, which set above some thermal springs, would, would bubble from time to time. So Jesus approaches this man who's paralyzed and unable to walk. He has with him all of the common gear that is, that, that is used by paralytics who begged for a living in those days. He has a mat to lie on, a collection plate for the money of those people who might take pity on him. Perhaps he had some crutches if he were able to use them. Jesus approaches this man, engages him in a conversation, and he learned that this man had been this way for 38 years. Add to this the fact that he was hanging out at a pool that was known for healing, and we can begin to get a sense of how crazy it must have sounded for Jesus to ask the question, do you want to get well? I mean, what, what kind of question is that? Does a paralyzed man want to get well? That sounds like a stupid question. That's a question that, that rivaled one of my parents' favorites when I was growing up. Do you want to get grounded? Well, uh, Dad, let me think about that one. The answer to that question seems obvious. But maybe, just maybe, the question isn't as shallow as it seems at first glance. Let's just consider that for a moment. Here's a man who has been disabled for 38 years. All of that time, he has had to rely upon the kindness of others to make a way in his life. For 38 years, he's managed to, to get enough food to eat. 
He had other sick people around him who had become his friends. And, and I would suggest to you that he has grown content in his comfort zone. Once he was healed, everything would have to change. If he were to get well, then he would have to earn his way for the first time in 38 years, perhaps for the first time ever. No longer would he be begging, but now he would be required to work for his food. He would now have to start a new relationship with his friends and associates. His new circumstances would require him to make new acquaintances. In every sense of the word, he would be starting life completely over. He would no longer have an excuse for what his life was. The responsibility would be his. And Jesus was asking him if he was prepared for that. So maybe the question, do you want to get well, wasn't such a crazy question at all. Maybe it was a question that pierced to the very center of the man's heart and exposed the motives that lay deep within. And what about us? As Jesus looks at us, paralyzed by problems, paralyzed by circumstances, paralyzed by sin, what does he say to you and me? Could it be that he asks us the same question that he asked the invalid by the pool? Do you want to get well? Do you want Jesus to heal the parts of your life that have been damaged, or is it easier to hang on to the hurt? Is it easier to let bitterness fester and to stagger in the hurt and betrayal, licking and liking our wounds? You see, church, all too often we hang on tightly to the things that paralyze us spiritually. Jesus can heal us of those things, but when he does, we will be left without excuse for our lives and the choices we make. No longer will we be able to cry, my life isn't my fault, other people are to blame. So this question isn't as crazy as it sounds, and it echoes all the way down to each of us today. Do you want to get well? To the person who is paralyzed by past hurts, Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? To, to the person who is chained by secret sin, Jesus asks, do you want to be free? To the person who is battling addiction, Jesus asks, do you want to overcome? To the person who has not asked him into his heart, Jesus asks, do you want to be saved? To all of us who need his healing touch in any part of our lives, he asks, do you want to get well? To receive the healing he has for us, we must desire to be changed. We must answer, yes, Lord, I'm ready to put the past behind me. This man's response to Jesus' question invites us to the second part of this conversation. It involves, secondly, a lame excuse. Uh, there was a Peanuts cartoon, and Lucy announces, boy, do I feel crabby. Linus tries to help her feel better by giving her his chair in front of the TV. He also fixes her a sandwich and gets her some chocolate chip cookies and a glass of milk. As he gives the sandwich to her, he asks, now, is there anything else I can get you? Is, is there anything else I haven't thought of? To which Lucy replies, yeah, there is one thing that you haven't thought of. 
And with a reply that knocks him over, she shouts, I don't want to feel better. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Look at me, look with me at verse 7. You can almost feel that the self-pity ooze out of this paralyzed man's response. He says, sir, I have no one to help stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The man didn't answer Jesus' question at all. He just makes excuses for his condition. No, no, he doesn't answer the question. He blames his circumstances. He blames other people. But he doesn't say, yes, I I want to be well. He doesn't say, yes, I I want to be healed. Yes, I I want to be made whole. He's still locked into his own needs, making an excuse for why he hasn't been healed yet. He says, I'm all alone. There's no one to help me. And we can't help but feel sorry for this man who's alone in the world. His family has either died or they've deserted him. He's paralyzed and lonely. Sir, I have no one to help me. It really is a tragic cry. But it still didn't answer the question, do you want to get well? And it still amounts to an excuse. To to say there's no one to help me, it means I can't help myself, and God's not doing anything for me either. And what about us today? What's our response? When Jesus asked, do you want to be free from your past hurts? Do we reply, but, but, but you don't know how bad they hurt me. When Jesus asked, do you want to be free from the chains of your secret sin? Do we counter with, but, but, but I just can't control myself. When Jesus says to the addict, do you want to overcome? Is the answer, I have an addiction. It's a disease. It's not my fault. When Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? When he asked, do you want to, do you want to be saved? Do we offer an excuse? Do we say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as other people that I know. When Jesus asked, do you want to get well? The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. To, to receive the healing that Jesus has for our lives, we have to put away our excuses. Which brings us to the third lesson from this conversation with Jesus. Jesus ignored the excuse, and he gave the man, thirdly, an impossible instruction. Look with me at verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus brings healing to us the same way that he did back then. He didn't come to this man with a poor sympathy that accepted his excuses. He didn't mutter a poor you. But Jesus gave him a message of life and hope. He says to us, as he said to the paralytic by the pool, get up and walk. You can think of this as the gospel according to Nike. Just do it. The man complained, I have no one. But listen, church, in Jesus, we really do have someone. Not just someone to drag us around on our mats of self-pity, but we have someone who can bring life 
to our own withered limbs. We have someone who can bring healing to our own damaged emotions. We have someone who can bring strength to our own resolve. We have someone who can say, with all authority, get up and walk. Now, let me emphasize that Jesus is the one seeking and searching in this story. Did the man who was paralyzed go looking for Jesus? No. Did he even know who Jesus was? No. He didn't know who Jesus was. We can say that confidently based on what we read in verses 11 through 17. We find here a proof of God's love that's described in John chapter 3. A God who has sent his son into the world to save it, not because the world was seeking God. John 1.10 tells us the world didn't even know him. God did it because according to 1 John 4 verse 8, God is love. This story shows us that God's grace is not some exchange where we do something and then God responds. This man didn't say he wanted to be healed. His response to Jesus' question was, I can't. This man can't even tell people who healed him. God healed him because that's just who God is. In fact, John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to the Father, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. This is the initiative of the Father. And so I want you to understand that I'm not proclaiming a self-help gospel here. The gospel stresses both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. This healing is produced 100% by his power. It is all of Christ, it is all of grace, but there is a factor of human responsibility here. Think about it with me. Who healed the man by the pool? Jesus. Who had to walk? The man. Who saves us from our sins? Jesus. Who must repent and believe? We must. Who sanctifies us and gives us the power to live above sin? Jesus. Who must decide day by day to follow him and do what's right? We must. There has been far too much misunderstanding on this point in the church, and as a result, there have been far too many excuses. I'm not saying that we're the masters of our own destiny or that we have the power in and of ourselves, but the Bible tells us that we have been made more than conquerors through him who loved us. So for us to act defeated, for us to act helpless, is to deny the truth of God's word and call him a liar. Jesus came and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. The blood that Jesus shed washes us from sin and its bondage. The fact that Jesus rose again from the dead demonstrates his victory over Satan's oppression. Now we are able to be participants in that victory if we will reach out to him in faith. Jesus still calls us to get up and walk. It would have been so easy for for this man at the pool to laugh off Jesus and, and dismiss him as a fool. It takes more than strength and courage to obey his impossible instruction, to leave the hurt behind, to walk above the level of our sins, and to accept the salvation that he offers. 
God's work in our lives is accomplished by his grace alone. But to experience it, we must reach out in faith and cooperate with him in the process of repentance. Living life in a new way. And so we read in verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. We see something in this story that we see in all of Jesus' healing miracles. There are always three characteristics about Jesus' healing power, and we notice them in this story too. First, Jesus' healings were immediate. It was never a gradual process that took days, weeks, or even months. It says at once he was cured. Second, Jesus' healings were complete. You would expect someone who hadn't walked for 38 years to kind of have wobbly knees, to have shaky legs, right? For there to be some period of rehabilitation and, and, and relearning. But we're told that he picked up the mat and walked. Remember, for 38 years, this mat carried him. And now he was able to carry the mat. He was cured completely. Third, Jesus' healings were indisputable. Skeptics couldn't say he didn't really perform a miracle. You know, he, he just thought he was healed. It, it was all in his head. The, the truth is, Jesus' healing was usually public, visible, and undeniable. Oftentimes they were spontaneous and they involved a number of different conditions and a number of different people. He tells them to pick up your mat and walk. That's a little bit interesting to me. Why not just get up and walk? Why, why take the mat? It's not because Jesus was concerned about this guy littering. It wasn't because he wanted Jesus to properly, he wanted the man to, to properly dispose of the mat and, and recycle. No, no, the mat is a sign that his life has been changed. He's not who he was. The mat is his testimony. Your mat is your testimony. And you don't throw away your testimony. C can you picture it now? This man walking through the streets of Jerusalem, going up to people and saying, hey, for 38 years, I laid on this mat, paralyzed and unable to walk. And one day this man named Jesus, he came to me. He had mercy on me and he asked me, do you want to get well? I mean, I wasn't even looking for him and he found me. He poured out his grace on my life and he saved me. He healed me and you know what? He can do the same for you. What's your mat? What's your testimony? You carry it with you wherever you go. Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, there are two things that we need to overcome the enemy in temptation. The first is the blood of the Lamb. That's what Jesus did on the cross when he died and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven of our sins. The second is the word of your testimony. The Apostle Paul says that, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. You know what that means? Your weakness is your weapon. Your weakness is your weapon. So don't throw away your testimony. Now you may be thinking, well, aren't we supposed to leave it at the cross? Aren't we supposed to, to leave it at the altar? Uh, Michael Todd says, 
Leave the sin, but take the mat. Leave the sin, but take the mat. Leave your brokenness. Leave your addiction. Leave your pride and your self-sufficiency. Leave your insecurities. But take your transformation. Take your wholeness. Take your healing. Testify to others. You need your mat to let other people know to testify that they too can be free. So as we've looked at these signs throughout, Jesus, throughout John's gospel, we've seen these miracles of Jesus revealing God's glory, revealing the divinity and the character and the nature of who Jesus is, the salvation that he offers to us. There is a development in this theme of Jesus' power. If you think back to the first week, the, the first sign, the first miracle, we see Jesus' power over creation. He turns water into wine. Last week, we saw Jesus' power over distance. He heals the royal official's son from 20 miles away. In this third sign, we see Jesus' power over time. Instantly, he heals a man who was paralyzed for 38 years. In a moment, Jesus erases 38 years of misery, shame, hopelessness, and embarrassment. At the word of Jesus, strength, energy, and wholeness surged through this man's body. And you would think this is where the story ends. But sadly, it's not. I want you to notice, last of all, there is a grave warning. A grave warning. The story doesn't end with the healing. We read in verse 14, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you were well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So this man left the pool and he headed straight for the temple. He certainly wanted to give thanks to God for his healing and to offer the appropriate sacrifices. For 38 years he was unable to worship in this way. But there's this anti-climax in this story, and honestly, it's a bummer. We, we would love for the story to end with this nice bow of this man being healed, and it seems awfully strange to me that this man didn't seek a closer relationship with the one who healed him. In fact, verse 13 tells us he didn't even know who it was who healed him. You would think that would be the very first thing that he asked, hey, thank you so much, well, what's your name, sir? But, but no, no. It's been said before that more than one person has gratefully accepted the gift and ignored the giver. Oftentimes, Jesus would heal someone because of their faith. But that doesn't happen here. This man is healed simply because Jesus has compassion on him. When Jesus says in verse 14, stop sinning, that suggests that this man wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't a believer. Nowhere are we told that Jesus says that this man's Sins had been forgiven. If you'll remember several weeks ago, we looked at a story in Mark chapter 2 of another paralyzed man on a mat. This man's friends brought him to Jesus. They cut a hole in the roof, lowered him to Jesus, and Jesus healed him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. There's no evidence in this passage that this man believed in Christ or that his heart was changed. In fact, if you keep on reading, as Jesus is interrogated by the religious leaders, he explains his actions. He explains this sign as evidence that they should believe in him. 
He even goes on to say, you will see even greater miracles than this, which they did witness later on, and they still failed to believe. So perhaps the warning from this passage is this. It's possible to experience an exciting miracle or a spiritual high and still not be saved and experience eternal life. When NASA first started sending up astronauts, they quickly realized that ballpoint pens did not work in zero gravity. And so, problem, NASA scientists spent a decade and $12 billion developing a pen that writes in zero gravity. It also worked upside down, underwater, and on any type of surface, including glass. It will write at temperatures ranging from below zero to over 500 degrees Fahrenheit. The Russians, well, they just used a pencil. The point, keep it simple. Don't get sidetracked when it comes to faith. Your biggest need is not to experience a miracle. Your biggest need is to experience the forgiveness of sins. This man in John chapter 5, he experienced a miracle, but he didn't experience forgiveness. Make sure that you don't miss out on what's truly important. May it never be said that you were so close, yet so far away. Today, this morning, get right. So what's the sign? The sign here is that God is at work in the world through Jesus. And that work is to seek out the broken and restore them to life. To seek out the lost and make sure that they're found and they know the name of Jesus. Jesus' question echoes down through the ages to us today. Do you want to get well? And today, Jesus waits for your response. Will you continue to hold on to the things that hold you back? Will you offer the same excuses? Or will you listen to the instruction of Jesus and will you reach out to that which is beyond yourself? Will you get up and walk? Let's pray together. God, you are our healer. You, you heal us of, of every disease. You heal us, God, of, of the, the, the greatest sickness that we experience in life, and that is our sins. God, I pray that as we go through, we go through struggles and, and we go through health battles in life, God, that, that we would we and we would seek your healing because, God, you are powerful, you are sovereign, and you're in control over it all. But God, I pray that we would not miss the greatest healing that you offer, and that is the forgiveness of sins. God, help, help us not to, not, not to accept the gift, but to, but to miss out on the giver. God, help us to see that, that you are the one working and moving. God, you are the one who's, who's orchestrating the events of our life. God, purpose that we might come to know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. God, help us not to be blind to the signs. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of Jesus that, that is displayed in it. God, we thank you that this word continues to change lives throughout the centuries. 
And so God, as, as we reflect on the question that you still ask us, do you want to get well? Do we want to get well? Do I want to get well? God, I pray that, that you would bring us healing and wholeness to every parts of our life. And if there's anybody who needs that healing today, I pray that they would not leave here today without seeking it and finding it in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.